sing, I will follow. I will follow. I will follow you. I will follow. I will follow you. I will follow. I will follow you. One, two. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay, we, maybe we should start with prayer then, huh? <laughs> so let's pray. Um, God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather and worship you know, with a desire to follow you. And uh, God, I pray that you would just help me to preach, help me to share my heart. And I pray that in doing that, your heart would be revealed. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I found out this week that I was preaching, kind of with a surprise. We had someone who was going to be preaching with, with us, and their schedule and some other things fell through. And so um, I actually was looking at this as an opportunity. I thought, gosh, you know, as most of you know, well, let me first say this. As most of you probably know at this point, I'm transitioning out of my role as associate pastor here at the sanctuary. And I just want to th say thank you for all the emails and the phone calls and the conversations. It's just been a real treat to hear from you and such encouragement. And I want you to know, if I haven't been able to get back to you yet on some of those, I will, I promise. I'm one of, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to is getting to talk with people and, and kind of share the dreams that are being born in Robin and I. And, and I just, I'm just deeply appreciative of this community and what we have here together. And uh, and I thought to myself, this might be one of the last times I'll get to preach to you in the role that I'm in right now. And so what do I want to say? And it, it took me back to three years ago when we moved out to Colorado. In fact, even before then. We were living in New Jer Jersey, and I was pastoring a church out there. And there were two kind of significant factors that played a role in bringing us to Colorado. One was a conversation that I had with Robin, and the other was a Bible study that we were going through the year leading up to our, uh, when we left and to come out here. Uh, the conversation was, was interesting, and that was I was dealing with some isolation and some loneliness, and I remember asking Robin, if we were, if we were having trouble in our marriage, who would we talk to? Who would we go to? Who would we rely on and lean on during that time? And we came up with a few people, but everyone we came up with lived far away. And I realized in that moment that's a problem. Because we really needed a community to be a part of a community that was supportive and encouraging that we could trust and lean on. And, and this is nothing to do, uh, nothing against um, the folks in New Jersey, in fact, we still have, I'm in contact with a number of them uh, out there, and it's just awesome, some great people. But you know, friendship, especially Christian friendship, is an interesting thing. And it's sometimes hard to come by, right? And there's, it's complicated, and, and it got me thinking, we really want to be a part of a group of people that are our deepest and closest friends, and we want to do church with the friends and family. 
So that was the first thing that got us kind of moving. The second thing was a Bible study that we were, uh, I was teaching uh, through the book of Philippians. And that Bible study, what was amazing about it was, here's an individual, Paul, who was writing a letter at the end of his life. He's in prison, and he's corresponding with a number of different communities, but probably the community that was most near and dear to his heart where it was this uh, community that he had helped actually found in Philippi, the city of Philippi. And there he, like, uh, in his correspondence with them, when we were studying through his letter to them, we, I, I started seeing all these patterns and these ways of thinking and feeling and acting that he was trying to deposit and instill within them that was all about Christian community. And we started thinking about what would it look like to do church from a theological place rather than a pragmatic place. Oftentimes when we do church, we look around at the world and look at around other systems and other models, and we say, that what seems to be working? And usually we define working on the basis of numbers or, or finances, right? And we take those ideas and those models and we appropriate them into our life and we try to reproduce them without um, consideration for context and gifts and circumstances. And we take a wholly pragmatic approach to the way we do church. And I started asking the question, what would it look like to do church theologically? Where we ask the big questions, the deep questions. Who is God? Well, how has he revealed himself to us in Jesus? What does that have to say about the world and us and, and, and how we are called to live within that world? What would it look like if we lived as if we uh, really believed or lived as if what we believed was really true. And all that started happening for us at the same time. And so what ended up happening is Robin and I packed up. We, we uh, said goodbye to our community out there, our church out there, and we packed up, and we had this dream inside of us, and we came out to Denver. And we didn't have a real plan or agenda or um, just a vision, just a dream, an idea of what we were looking for, friends. So I want to talk to you this morning about Christian friendship and the nature and context and contours of what that looks like. And I want to do it through the letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. So let's look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your, your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Amen. So here is Paul beginning his letter, and he begins it, as he oftentimes does, with a, a prayer of thanks and gratitude in which he 
thanks God for his relationship, the common bond that he has with these, his friends in Philippi. And you can just feel the affection ooze out of him. I think of you all the time, and I hold you in my heart, and you hold me in yours. And I have compassion for you, the same compassion that is in Jesus Christ. He really deeply cares about these group of people. And as he's sitting there in a prison, uh, reflecting on the nature of his relationship with them, and the relationship that they in turn have with God, he begins to, his prayer begins to set up these contours for what Christian friendship look like. And so what I want to do is I want to make a a few observations in this prayer about what Christian friendship looks like, and then I want to suggest a few practices that we can incorporate into our lives together that reflect the the very character of that friendship. Okay? So I begin by saying this. I begin where he begins. Where he says uh, in verse 3, I thank my God. Let's go back up. Can you put up um, the opening slide? I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for you. Paul begins, as he begins most of his letters, with a prayer of thanksgiving. But what I find fascinating about this prayer is, as he is addressing God, he can't help but address God his friends. Did you notice that? How it begins with this prayer to God, but at least by verse 6, he's already now addressing this community that he calls friends. And so what that says to me is that Paul can't help but when he prays to God to remember his friends in that prayer, or when he thinks and reflects upon his friends, he can't help but be motivated to pray to his Father in heaven. He's mindful of the fact that, in, that, that there exists between Christian friends a three-way relationship. Do you see that? How in between you and I, God shows up. God shows up for me through you. And he shows up for you through me. There's this three-way dynamic that exists in all our relationships. Between you and I and our God in heaven. And he's present in the midst of all that. And Paul is always mindful of that. Now, let me suggest to you this. Think of how radical that is. To be mindful of that three-way relationship. Think of how that changes your behaviors, your patterns, your thoughts, your conversations. You know this is true. Whenever you are aware of being observed, it changes how you interact. Right? And what if you are aware of how God is showing up in the midst of every conversation that you're having. Every phone call, every meal over dinner, every drive on a road trip, every interaction is the opportunity to experience that three-way relationship. It's a game changer. It changes everything. And Paul is always mindful of that reality. That there exists a relationship not only between he and his friends, but t- together with Christ. But he moves on from that. If, if that's like the character or the contour of the, that relationship, the foundation of that relationship of friendship is found in verse 5. Because of your sharing in the gospel from, this, from the first day until now. I'm constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel. 
Now, what does that mean, you're sharing in the gospel? That word sharing that gets translated sharing is an important word in the New Testament. It's the word koinonia. And it can be translated a number of different ways. Sharing, partnership, participation, fellowship, communion. These are all words that find their root or their um, belonging to that word koinonia. And Paul says that there's something about the nature of our relationship, our fellowship, our koinonia that exists between you and I that, that is rooted in the gospel, that is the foundation for what it looks like to be engaged in Christian friendship. Now, some scholars suggest that this is an allusion to um, a financial gift that the Philippians have given Paul to support his ministry. And he makes that um, explicit later on in chapter 4. There he gives a, an acknowledgement for the financial gift that they have sent to him to support his ministry, even while he's in prison in Rome. I want to suggest, though, that that cannot be the foundation that he is laying his friendship upon with the Philippians. And there's a reason for this. It's because of the context of the times and the world that he lives in. For the giving and receiving of gifts was a major part of what friendship looked like during the time of the Greco-Roman era and the, the time in which Paul lived. It was an honor-based society. And so much of the relationships that existed within that societal system were predicated on the, the uh, accumulation of honor for yourself. And one of the best ways to go about doing that was through the giving and receiving of gifts. <coughs> right? So, as you would give, if you were to give a financial gift or, um, to someone who was your friend, that would both bring honor to you and indebt them to you in the relationship. Does that make sense? So much of the relationships that were defined in an honor-based society on the basis of self-interest and how you accumulate friends that then become beneficial for you as you navigate the world. And I think as we explore Paul's thinking in Philippians, we'll realize that cannot then be the basis for his friendship with the Philippians. For he is wanting to uh, impart a whole different way of thinking and feeling and acting within them, a way of understanding their relationship that is rooted not in self-interest, but in self-emptying. So, he says, I, th I thank you always, I thank God always for you because of the sharing, the koinonia that we have in the gospel. What's he saying there? The gospel, the event of God's self-disclosure in Jesus Christ. God's coming into the world in the, work and pers the person and work of Jesus. And that that event and the proclamation of that event is the basis of the friendship that they have. They belong to each other and the mere fact on the basis of the mere fact that they've been baptized into the same person, Jesus Christ. He becomes the foundation. He's the good news, and, and he becomes the foundation for their shared life together and their friendship with one another. Paul goes on to say that it's right for me to think this way about you. In verse 7, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. And th again, here we have our third, a third observation, and it's rooted in another important word, where it says, it's right for me to think this way about 
you. Um, that word in Greek is phronine, and it's a complicated word to translate as well. For uh, some translations put it think, others say feel. Um, for me, like the best, the per best person who helped me understand the nuances of this word was uh, Stephen Fowl in his commentary on Philippians, where he suggests that it has mo uh, everything to do with practical, moral um, and practical reasoning. Or another way of putting it is those patterns by which we think and feel and act. I personally like the idea of translating it um, have the same mindset or mentality. What are those, uh, those patterns by which we think and feel and act that, um, that produce the behavior of our lives, right? And Paul says, it's right for me to have this mentality or this mindset for you. Because I, in, in essence, I am um, re, I'm just modeling my own life and my own frame of reference after the very life and character of the God in which we have fellowship together in, have koinonia together in. And he wants to impart that same mentality, that same mindset into his friends. That's why later on, he says in chapter 2, a really important thing. Let's look at this. He says this in chapter 2, let the same mind... Phronine, that's the same word. Have the same mindset, have the same mentality in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." So what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to have the same mentality that I share with Christ. Look at the very character and, of the God who is incarnate in Jesus. What is he about? What has he disclosed himself to be about? Notice how God, Jesus, does not regard his equality with God as something to be exploited, right? To gain honor for himself. But rather, he seeks to empty himself in humility and obedience. And being found in that hum humble state, he draws near to us, he comes to us, he moves towards the world in which he's created. And he's willing to undergo suffering, even death, even death on a cross, because this is who he is. At the very heart of God is this mentality to seek not his own benefit, but the benefit of others. And so Paul, when he's reflecting on his friendship that he has with the Philippians, he, he says, have the same mindset. It's right for me to think this way about you. Because this is the very character of the, this the very heart of the God that we have fellowship in, that is the basis of our friendship. And I want to see that same mentality uh, be <coughs> produced in you as well. And when we do that, Paul says, when we do that, he, at least he implies, then it gives us the theological grid, the framework, the glasses, the lenses that we can then view the world through. 
and make sense of all our life circumstances. And so I want to sit here finally with this observation and reflect on what is the nature of Christian friendship? Well, it's mindfulness of the three-way relationship that we have in Christ, the foundation that exists between us rooted in the gospel, a common mentality that sees the world through the same way, through the same lenses, the same lenses that are evidenced in Christ Jesus. And finally, Christian friendship is all about helping one another to put on those lenses and to narrate the stories of our lives in, large, uh, in light of the larger story of what God is writing. Right? What makes f- Christian friendship different than any other friendship? Because we share the same narrative. We see the same, we see, we see the same story. And we have that in common, and it helps make sense of our own stories. And Paul's all about that. And watch how he does it. Um, in, in, in verse uh, 7, he says, It is right for me to think this way about you, all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace. There's that koinonia again with me, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What's he saying there? He's saying that, you know how I'm in prison and defending the gospel? Well, you have a stake in that as well. You're partners in that event. And, and in fact, what's true about my story is also true about yours. Let me help you see how that affects the world in which you live. Just a few verses later, in verse 12, go to the next slide. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually happened to spread the gospel. Isn't that interesting? What's, what's he saying or implying? He's saying, look it, I may be in prison, and to a lot of people that look might, might be a very threatening thing. In fact, especially for an apostle. Think of what an apostle does. An apostle is one who's commissioned, uh, who's sent to proclaim the good news, to establish communities and build them up. And in order to do that job well, you would think that an apostle needs to be on the move and traveling all around the Mediterranean world, exhorting and encouraging and building up. So to be thrown in prison can be a really threatening thing to your own vocation, right? But Paul says, take heart. I'm writing to you, and I know you've heard about my circumstances, but I want you to know that me being in prison is actually of benefit to the gospel rather than thwarting it. And then he goes on to narrate how uh, even the Praetorian Guard, the, his jailsmen, the people who are look, tasked to look after him in jail, have, been, uh, had her, have heard the good news and have converted to it, and so much so that even the church in Rome is so encouraged by the events surrounding Paul's own imprisonment that they are proclaiming, and they're more bold in the proclamation of that good news as well. He's saying it's actually served to advance our situation, our common enterprise that we share together. And then he says something interesting. In chapter 1, verse 27, next slide, he says this, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And when he says live your life, he's not talking about you as individuals. He's talking about your common life, your community. He's addressing the whole community of God. He's saying, only live your common life together in a manner 
worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that when I come and see you or an absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. See, Paul is saying, listen, I know you've heard about my struggles and my imprisonment, but I've heard about yours as well, and I know you're under the gun as well. Evidently, word had gotten back to him that the, the church in Philippi was under a whole lot of pressure. A whole lot of threat. Even out-and-out persecution. It looked like there was some financial pressure being brought to bear, some social pressure, and even some physical pressure. And he writes to them to say, to encourage them, to say, stand side by side. You have this common venture together. You have this fellowship that exists between us and with God. So bear up under that pressure side by side. I want to know that you're doing well. And take heart, because I want you to know that you, just as you have watched me go through this, your struggle is the same as my struggle. We share this struggle together. And the God who equips me to, to have the mentality to understand my circumstances and see them in a different light, he's doing the same work in you. So Paul is pressed to want to highlight and help narrate their story and their own uh, um, episodes in their own life and tell them that this is not just uh, solitary episodes being worked out, but they're a part of a larger drama of salvation that's being played out for the whole world to see. And watch how he does this. He says, Bear up and don't be intimidated, right? And then in verse 29, um, or in verse 28, For them, your adversaries, this is evidence of their destruction but of your salvation. Now, what's going on here? That seems like a clunky passage. What is it? I mean, the, the way it's translated, it makes you think um, your undergoing persecution is evidence of other people's destruction, but your salvation, right? But that's actually not what's being said here, and the translators have a difficult time working this out because they haven't yet um, made the connection on what God, uh, Paul's trying to do about narrating the story in light of God's story. If you take a more wooden translation of this passage, right up here, for them, this is evidence of destruction, not their destruction, but of your salva salvation. Or a more wooden way of, of, of saying is, for them, this is evidence of destruction, but for you, salvation. Now watch this. As you're undergoing pressure, Paul's saying, as you're bearing up side by side, it may look to the world an awful lot like your destruction. But I want you to know it's God's salvation being born in you. Just like when I got thrown into prison, it may look like the end, like destruction, 
but in fact, it has served to advance the good news of God's deliverance. Or even more appropriate, it's just like looking at the cross. For on the night when Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the authorities, flogged and beaten and strung up on a tree, it looked to the whole world like the end. Like destruction. But for you who have eyes to see, who've been found in Christ and have a, a common bond in his gospel, you recognize for what it really is the world's salvation. And what Paul is trying to do is help equip his friends to narrate their own stories and see how their stories are a part of this larger drama. And what's true for Jesus is also true for them. That's what Christian friends do. They help us, we help one another make sense of the world we live in in light of who God is and what he's done. Now, I want to suggest three then practices that if we believe that we're true, right, how shall we live? How shall we order our common life together in a manner worthy of that gospel? Well, let me suggest to you three practices that we can incorporate. First, if it's our task to help people narrate their story in light of the larger story of salvation, then it would behoove us to know that larger story, right? And so it would, I would suggest to you that we make a practice of gathering together around the scriptures, right? The witness to God's redemptive act for the world in Jesus. And to pour over them and to study them and to read them in community. This book was never intended to be read in isolation or by yourself. It was always meant as a part of the community's book. And it was the community story making sense of uh, witnessing and pointing to God's story. And so oftentimes we approach the Bible the, with the wrong mindset, the wrong phronine, the wrong mentality, where we look at it as if it's this handbook on life. And if I have questions in my life on how to be a better father or husband or wife or spouse or friend or neighbor or businessman or whatever, then we go through our Bible and we try to pull out passages that address that. And what I want to say to you is, of course there's going to be stuff in here that ha speak to those circumstances and situations but it's not primarily about that. That this is all about this, Jesus, and him, Christ and him crucified. It points to that story. When we make it all about a handbook on life, then what are we making it all about? We're making it all about us. And it's not. It's about Jesus. And so it would behoove us to develop the practice of gathering together around this Bible so that we might know him and his story better, right? That's the first thing. Commit ourselves to reading scripture together. Secondly, commit ourselves to gather together in worship. And not just any worship, but the full expression of our gratitude 
for what God has done in Christ that is rooted in this thing that we share together, communion, our koinonia, our fellowship in the very life of Jesus. For after all, this table is a distillation and a compression of that larger drama of salvation, told in act and not just ideas. And so every time we gather together we are actually, and participate in this meal together at the very heart of our worship, then we are enacting and living into that very story that we want to know and tell about. So make it a regular part of your practice in life to gather together on these weekends when we have worship together. Let it be a part of the rhythm of your day in and day out existence. Don't let it just be uh, a scattered and hodgepodge, um, hit and miss kind of thing. Because you're not here to gain a nugget of wisdom or even necessarily be inspired by a good story. You're here to participate in that story, to share in fellowship, koinonia, in the gospel. Okay? So commit yourself to reading the scriptures together. Commit to worshiping together in, com in the communion that we have. And finally, commit to taking the risk of being vulnerable and sharing life together. I, wh what's clear for me when I read Paul and how he addresses his friends in Philippi, he knew them. He knew their stories, he knew their heart, and he was so taken by that and he wanted to address it. And I am suspicious that for us to live into the kind of life that we are called to live into, it can't happen if we're just spending time together on Sundays. There's got to be a deeper life that we're committed to, a deeper commitment to fellowship and friendship. And you know what? We, like, we, we got to be committed to self-disclosure, opening our hearts to one another. And that's risky, right? Friendship is risky. But it's a risk that is worth taking. Because as we risk, as we risk opening up our lives and showing the junk that exists there and confessing to, risk confessing to one another, risk dreaming together, risk um, knowing each other on an intimate level, then we're becoming the church. And let me just say this, by the way, just an aside on risk. When Robin and I came to Denver, we knew we needed friendship, but it, we also, we knew that we, there was this idea in our head for the kind of community we wanted to be a part of. But in order for us to have that community, we had to take risk. We had to step out in faith. We had to enter into a journey. And we didn't know where that journey would end. But we trusted God. And you know what we found when we did that? We found that as we, as we took that risk, it pushed us to trust him. It forced us to trust him. And as we trusted him, we found that we, we saw the ways that he responded and cared for us and cared for our needs and addressed our fears and concerns. And there were certainly times in which we were deeply rattled. And yet we also found that as we trusted him, as we were forced to trust him, he grew in us the capacity to be sensitive to his promptings.
And we became aware of all the ways he was working, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those that we were coming into contact with. Risk did that for us. And I've had several of you talk to me and say, gosh, it's amazing how you're taking this risk. It's real, uh, of moving forward with not necessarily knowing what's next. It's a real gift that you have. And, and I recognize that, listen, I believe this. Faith is a gift. It's not something we produce in ourselves. It's born in us that Jesus produces, right? But I also want you to know that I've seen Robin and I grow in our capacity to take risk because of the risks we've taken before. It's something that you can cultivate in your life. And that, and that God uses to grow you. And we found that when we took risk, we liked the people we were becoming. And I want you to know that I don't want to just be a person who's willing to take risk. I want to be a part of a community that takes risk. That is bold, not in just what we preach, but in how we live our life together. That's committed to studying the scriptures together and worshiping together and most of all sharing life together a risky venture but you need to know this also if we don't have in the back of our minds the common mindset that this is in fact motivated out of a deep belief in who God is and what he's about then all those other things just become laws rules practice you know just another way to manage our existence. No, we need to remember the deep theology that at the very heart of God is friendship. Each person of the Trinity glorifying the other, not seeking their own benefit, but highlighting and glorifying and seeking the benefit of the other. And in fact, all of creation, this world we live in, is born out of that reality. God did not create the world out of need or lack, but rather out of an overabundant of flowing of love. And he, his desire, his design for all of us is that we would be drawn into his life, into friendship with him. And as we're doing that, being drawn into friendship with one another. Jesus says it himself. Listen to this. Instead of reading, just listen to his own words. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know what his, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And it's right here at this table. His own self-disclosure, the very heart of God. A life that seeks not his own benefit, but the benefit of others. That lays down his life for his friends. And so it's good for us to remember and gather around and worship and enter into that story and participate in his life 
and realize that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, just everyday ordinary bread. And after giving thanks, he blessed it and he broke it and he said, and he gave it, he gave himself to his disciples saying, this is me, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed, that's okay that that spilled, because this whole thing is messy. This life that we share together is messy. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you do this, do this in the remembrance of me. And so, friends, you are invited to participate in Jesus' own life. Karl Barth said this, that the definition of a Christian is our life in Christ, Christ's life in us. It's fellowship, it's koinonia, it's communion. And so I invite you to this table, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and invite Christ into your life, even as you know you have been found in his. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come to the table. Here's the thing. I'm transitioning out of my role here, right? But here's the good news. A contractual relationship, a financial one, isn't the basis of our friendship. It's Jesus. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's commit ourselves to studying scripture together, to worshiping together, to sharing life together, and let's do it together, and let's take the risk of doing it together, Let, and live out our calling as friends of God, okay? So, go forward from this place. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And friends, if you need prayer or anything else, we have our prayer team up here. There's cookies and, and coffee downstairs. There's a meeting that's happening with the homeless, and there's lunch out. So there's a lot going on. Let's not end with this, okay? Go in peace. <laughs>